Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Do you know what satisfied me today? It is very simple. The answer is David Montgomery. He is a league winner. We talked about it in every damn show, segment, video, social, clip, article, blah. I'm satisfied by the amount of times I got to reuse the same nug. Yeah, right. I mean, this is a... I feel like at this point, too, we also kind of have to stop saying, ah, you know, he's just grinding it out with opportunity against bad match or good matchups or whatever. This was a legit, like, I, maybe it's a t- career turning of the corner for David Montgomery. I mean, he's always been high in, like, all the broken tackle metrics and all that, but I think he's running with a little more authority. And sometimes it's just like when you start to stack individual uh, momentum because momentum is real. It's a thing. Uh, when you start to like stack individual and personal momentum, you start just feeling it more. Maybe that's the point where David Montgomery is now. And this is like, I mean, I don't, I'm probably not going to draft him wherever he's going next year in fantasy, <laughs> but, but, for, but for the time being good for him. Well, I think it's running back is always a position of rhythm, right? That is something that is yeah. like momentum, a real thing, even though people sometimes find it to be a little bit woo, any running back, any professional runner, uh, running yeah. back will tell you that that rhythm and momentum are a massive part of the game from an individual perspective. So I think that that's true. I also think that plenty of planets and galaxies collided to allow for this finding of rhythm and momentum from Tariq Cohen's injury to the schedule to the various changes in running uh, in quarterback. So I think that there are a lot of things. Um, coalescing nicely for David Montgomery, but regardless, they have all happened. I'm sure we'll talk about that game in the recap, but let's get to the quick Saturday recap. Uh, Buffalo at Denver, Josh Allen, the real deal, Drew Luck, not so much. No, bit of a mixed bag for Drew Luck. Uh, Josh Allen was just in control of this thing the whole way through. It was awesome to have him and Stefan Diggs just firing off at the same time. Uh, Buffalo looks dangerous too. Like I think if anybody's going to challenge Kansas city in the AFC, I mean, there's them, there's the Tennessee Titans too, both good offenses. I would love to see those teams, uh, all play, but yeah, from a fantasy angle, definitely just not, if you had to play Tim Patrick or something like that, or Mm -hmm. Jerry Judy, if you were in that type of spot, this was not, uh, it was not the sort of back and forth game that you could have told yourself might have happened had Drew Locke been up to the performance that he had against the Panthers against the Bills defense that has been to be fair to the Bills defense too it's starting to co- it's starting to come together there yeah 
Um, I will say from a fantasy perspective, if we're looking at the Broncos, because you mentioned Tim Patrick, who went off last week, I think we've talked about his um, red zone appeal, his touchdown upside, et cetera, KJ Hamler, the speedster, blah, 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 are all reliant on Drew Locke to a level that makes things tricky. But the most reliable Bronco has been Melvin Gordon. He found the end zone twice. And even when he's splitting carries, as he did in Saturday's game with Philip Lindsay, where he is on the field, plus his, you know, his opportunities in the red zone as well as his work in the passing game just continue to give him a solid RB2 floor every single week. Yeah, and they've stuck with him through mistakes too. Look, there's yep. a lot of talent on this Broncos offense. I I just I'm interested to see what they do at quarterback cuz there's no way that they'll go Drew Locke or bust. Like they might give Locke a chance to win the starting job again, maybe, but there's got to be some competition, you know. It was just uh it, it was tough to watch. Let's talk about Carolina and Green Bay, because if you're talking about things that were tough to watch, as someone who spent the week projecting quarterbacks, oh. watching Aaron Rodgers have himself a down after effort after all of this MVP talk heading into the matchup, that was a tough watch. Um, and, you know, we talked about, I don't know if we did it on camera or offline, about Teddy Bridgewater's um, constant instinct to run out of nowhere which I mean maybe the matchup against the Packers dictated a little bit or invited a little bit more of but interesting back and forth here Uh, I wasn't high on Robbie Anderson because of Jair Alexander but I didn't expect him to have quite the down night that he did CMC we don't know here I have a question for you now I'm just like spouting things because I'm remembering the game on Saturday but do you think Christian McCaffrey will come back Gut feeling, do you think he'll come back for the last two weeks of the season? I think so, only because he seems to have been so insistent that he wants to do it. I just don't think it's a good look. I mean, I don't I don't think it's wise in terms of preservation. But I, of course, don't know the incentives that are laid into his contract or what financially might be inviting as well. And that's always something people have to consider. What did you make of the down effort from... Rodgers and Devontae. Oh, or also, hold on. See what happens when you free Aaron Jones? When Jamal when Jamal Williams goes out? Like, this is what we get out of Aaron Jones. Just just a note to LaFleur. Yeah. Um, what I made of it was it was very sad. No one cares about my fantasy teams, but having Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen, uh, Austin Eckler, um, uh, and Tim Patrick all have their worst games of the season – all on one team, that didn't feel great. Didn't feel great. That's that's what I that's what I personally made of it. I just <laughs> I feel like I feel like Carolina's defense. It was it just ended up being a very like slog type of game. Also, the fact that you know Teddy Bridgewater turns it over at the one when he's trying to run. It was just a, to me. It was just a very weird game. I do think that the Panthers defense is sort of it's getting a little bit better but there's just the personnel is not great either so I, I think I think that there's just like the fact the fact of the matter is I thought they got a lot of pressure on Rodgers I think Brian Burns is a really underrated player they've got some youth on that defensive line that I think has really started to take the next step here uh, as the season's coming to an end all right let's go ahead and talk about the Sunday matchups we'll start with Chicago Minnesota let's not talk too much about Chicago because we already talked uh, about David Montgomery at the top of the show so let's start with the Vikings, because in weird fashion, Dalvin Cook was not the most productive running back, but he still he still did some did some damage here with uh, 132 yeah. yards plus a touchdown. 
Right. And I, I mean, this was a sort of the game that you'd expect from the Vikings. Also very weird that, you know, Adam Thielen comes out and has the touchdown catch, then just kind of goes completely quiet. I thought Kirk Cousins looked frazzled in this one. I thought he um, definitely had some misfires as well. Uh, there's a clip people can find on the internet of uh, Justin Jefferson making his feelings known about that. Also, Irv Smith uh, made some mistakes when he was in you know, an, an opportunity for Irv, too, with Kyle Rudolph out, uh, made some mistakes there, too. Just one of those games where Cousins was a little bit up and down. Uh, it's not, like, hyper-analyzed because it wasn't a primetime game. It's a, you know, 1 p.m. Eastern time game that no one cares about. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it was just that was the primary cause here for Minnesota. Chicago's defense definitely played better in this game than they had in some of their more recent efforts. It's interesting that you mentioned the pressure and the ability to be flustered that we know is part of Kirk Cousins' game because despite the fact that the lights were not particularly bright on a primetime effort, there were, this was um, a division game and had postseason implications. So you could stretch that narrative a little bit further and say that this extends to Cousins' inability to be clutch in moments that matter. Right. That's a good point. It, it, it definitely had a winner-take-all sort of vibe to it, uh, and that is obviously a pressure type of situation. You mentioned Justin Jefferson, eight catches, 104 yards, and a touchdown. Um, you and Scott debated debated Justin Jefferson versus Calvin Ridley. I don't know who you took, but I'm guessing it was Justin Jefferson, and I'm also guessing that this effort did not change your mind. No. The funny thing is, we both took Jefferson. Uh, he's coming off a better game this week than he was last week, just statistically. I, I think this guy's an ascending superstar. I said this on FFL today. I've said it a couple other times, too. Like He's having Odell Beckham's rookie season without the big primetime catch, so people aren't talking about it enough. And and I, I think Beckham showed you know legendary-type talent back in the day for the Giants. So that's, it's high praise. Uh, Jefferson's incredible. I think he is, like I said, he's been a top 15 NFL wide receiver this year and he's 21 years old. That's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting to like want to get in on the early stages of that. At the same time with Calvin Ridley, I don't buy into the narrative that he needs Julio Jones. Like I think that Calvin Ridley could be an alpha receiver. I think he could be a true number one. I think he separates at that level. My bigger question with the Falcons specifically is who they're going to be next year. Um, I think they need to change the offensive coordinator. I think they need to be one of those teams that's like we're they're they're too far they're too close to be a rebuilding type unit. They need to make one last push with this core, and if they did that, like hire a new offensive coordinator and just go all in on their passing game, I could see Ridley absolutely exploding next year. But obviously, I have no clarity on that right now, so I'm going to take Jefferson as the safer bet. That makes sense. And I like what you're mentioning. In fact, let's get to the Tampa Bay at Atlanta game because there are a lot of surprises in this one. But the idea that the Falcons have basically recycled their front office personnel, their coaching staff over the, you know, over Matt Ryan's tenure in Atlanta is a is a fair point. There's nothing there's nothing new here. Julio Jones is only getting older. Uh, the hamstring obviously has been an issue throughout the season, what, since week two, right? And and now you have Ridley, who has a monster effort without Julio Jones. There are 163 yards, a touchdown. Matt Ryan has 
a 356-yard game and three touchdowns. He had not managed more than 240 yards any game that Julio Jones was sidelined for. And then he faces the Bucs, and this is what happens. And also, I think it's interesting because, you know, obviously game flow had a lot to do with this, but, like, there was no backfield here. So maybe when you remove that, there is some fluidity to the offense and um, some more to quote you from earlier in the show momentum that happens. I, I think the Falcons have needed to give up the ghost on their running game for probably about a month now. Maybe that was really a catalyst to this type of performance. I also yeah. just think Tampa Bay's defense has sort of, they've sort of lived by the sword, died by the sword here. And they were doing a lot more living in the first half of the season and a lot more dying here in the second half of the season, blowing a lot of coverages playing off coverage when they should just get up and get physical with these receivers. That's not a good uh, recipe for success when you're playing off in the secondary and you're still blitzing a ton. And their defensive line, the front four, just organically doesn't get a lot of pressure. So I think that defense is just generally taking a pretty big step back. But the other interesting thing, too, here is like, these Bucks receivers, everyone's kind of been pulling their hair out. What do we do with these guys? All three of them score. And I really just think it's there's still such a weird team. Because it's all in the second half for for the Bucks, right? They were doing nothing. I mean, literally nothing in the first half. All their points, they put up 31 points like it's nothing in the second half. If they can play a softer defense, and it, I think Atlanta, despite the fact they got better once Dan Quinn was shown the door, they're still a softer defense. Uh, that's good news if you need them next week, too, because they get the damn Lions, uh, who give up points to everybody, who give up production to every wide receiver. So I'm willing to be encouraged for I don't think this Bucks team's going anywhere in the playoffs I just don't have that type of faith in them but at the same time I, I do think for the rest of these next two weeks in the regular season I think these receivers could produce pretty well what would you make of the backfield noting that Ronald Jones was out and the Falcons have been pretty good against the run throughout the season uh Ronald Jones obviously had that finger inch I believe it was a pinky issue and then managed to find his way on the COVID list I would, I would, if I was a, you know, as a, as a wagering woman, I would imagine that he is off of the COVID list by next week. Leonard Fournette, I mean, this is like such a perfect Leonard Fournette line, by the way, 14 (laughs) carries, 49 yards, and then two touchdowns. Oh, I, I, yes. How did I not project this? But Ronald Jones, as we've seen, like Bruce Arians, trust him. That might seem bananas, but he does trust him. And he has shown us that time and time again. I wonder, however, if we have, after this effort, a complete reversal, especially when you're mentioning the soft matchup. Yeah, we'll see. I think if Jones is back for Week 16, I would imagine they probably saddle him him up for a good amount of carries just because I think their offense is most on schedule when they're running the ball well. I mean, Bruce Arians is not... He's he's a very he's a he's an aggressive coach in terms of the way they push the ball downfield, but he's he's pretty conservative in terms of relying on the run on first and second down. I think that will be, you know, that again. I think that's pretty key to their offense staying on schedule. Clearly, like you know, again, Fournette scores the two touchdowns. They don't run the ball with much consistency though. Outside of that, he has a long run of seventeen yards. Uh, you can do the math on that one. So <laughs> I think if um, they're running the ball better, it, it's just going to be. It's going to keep their offense more on schedule to not necessarily be as sporadic as they were in this game. Like I said, nothing in the first half, everything in the second half. San Francisco at Dallas, our colleague Jared Quay kind of called this the it don't matter bowl, right? Like he was interested in seeing 
these two teams that had such hype heading into this season and if, you know, whether it's injured, well, injuries and a confluence of other factors have underwhelmed down the stretch. Um, And so now we're looking at them to see from a 2021 perspective, what could, what could happen here? What could pop? And obviously after Tony Pollard, who's been the better running back over the past few weeks as Zeke has dealt with this calf injury, Zeke's finally out. Finally, Pollard gets the volume 69 yards and two touchdowns. But what do we make of Zeke now? I mean, there's a contract here. There's money. (laughs) Dallas has a lot of money problems too. Like, I I don't know how, how the boys back themselves out of this corner. I have no idea too. And the funny thing about Pollard's day is he also was a guy that popped really early. Then it seemed like he wasn't doing anything in the third quarter. Very weird. But then he comes back, has some big plays to end the game. Also was a big asset in the passing game as well. Nine targets, six catches for over 60 yards. And, I mean, the Zeke contract is just – it's about as bad as it gets. It's its about as bad as, like, the Wentz deal and the fact that it hasn't even – the extension part of it hasn't even started. They signed him to a six-year, $90 million contract – that contract, I think, kicks in the, the one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, the sixth. That sixth year starts next year in 2021. So they're not getting out of that thing for a little bit. I mean, look, teams can do a lot of creative stuff. We'll see. But I would, I'd bet money that Zeke's on the roster in Dallas next year. And I would bet he's not going to be on a single one of my fantasy teams. I get it. You can write up a lot of this to injuries for Zeke individually. Also, obviously, Dak Prescott, that was a big injury. He's probably having a better fantasy season if they didn't go through a long period where they screwed around with Ben DiNucci and Gilbert and all that or whatever. Um, If Andy Dalton had played solidly just throughout, maybe we're having another conversation too. Obviously, the offensive line is different as well. But again, it's a tough look that uh, the best backfield day for the Dallas Cowboys comes when Zeke is not involved. And that the Cowboys decided to, I mean, they gave him generational talent money, right? Like you're mentioning the offensive line. Well, let me think of another offense with a bad line and injuries. How about, Oh, the Tennessee Titans. Like they they had some tough, tough calls to their offensive line and talk about like a quarterback that had question marks around him. Ryan Tannehill is, was not considered like he has consistently proven himself. You wrote a, uh, an, I don't care article mid season about people finally having to get on board with the Titans passing game. And so I think that there are a lot of excuses that we can make for Zeke, but none of them rectify the contract. And moreover, the fact oh, that yeah, the yeah. Cowboys took away from their defense in order to make room for this offense. Yeah, it's it's gross, and it's it's just as if they tried to string two eras of Cowboys football together. You know, mm. in one way, it's the it's the old like ground and pound uh, team that they were when Zeke was like the finishing touch on the team when they had this awesome offensive line that just plowed this awesome season for Demarco Murray a few years ago. They add Zeke as sort of the cherry on top of that. Um, which is really the only way you could have justified like taking him as high as they did in the draft. It's like, well, this is the finishing piece. That era had clearly passed. It looked like they were moving towards this flinging footballs around with Dak Prescott and all these uh, wide receivers. But 
they didn't quite make the change there. Also, we just know how look that we know how Dallas operates. They they still thought that they could become that team again, uh, based on hubris in the middle of this season when it's clear that they could not just. It's it's a mess, and you know they they overvalue their own stars, and they I think they overvalued Zeke, and I tell you I'm, again I'm, I will not be overvaluing him in fantasy <laughs> next year. I think there's going to be a lot of more appealing picks in round one um, than Zeke Elliott. From a philosophical perspective, the inverse of the Dallas backfield is obviously the 49ers backfield because the Shanahanigans are a constant carousel of of running backs none of whom it seems can handle durability. And a lot of that has to do with zone schemes and explosiveness in space and blah, 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 and body types. And I'm sure that there's a like sports science study that's on that. But this is fantasy football. Raheem Mostert made his way to the field after nursing an injury, right? And I said, I was like, I don't know. I don't think he's going to make it through. Like, I didn't feel good about that. But then sure enough, he re-injured his ankle. We have seen this from Mostert over the season. Um, And Jeff Wilson, who at the half, didn't have the volume that Mostert had, comes in, does his downhill runner, not particularly exciting, but absolutely effective, especially when in the red zone, and manages uh, 60 yards and a score on the ground, and we'll take it. Yeah, we will take it. Uh, Mostert at this point, it's like, man, come on, just enough with these like injured guys. I want to see Mostert fully healthy and explosive in this scheme. I mean – this was a, a player that so many people were down on coming into the year. And the first few weeks of the season, it was like he was proving all the doubts wrong. You know, he was tearing it up and, and looked like a, a potential just steal where people got him in drafts. But then the injuries start piling up. Um, I, I would, I, I wish they would just kind of put him on the shelf. I get why you know you can't tell any player that he's fighting for a contract too. Um, that was a, a potentially heated situation that they, you know, kind of wriggled their way out of. Uh, this off season. So I don't know. I, I would just, I would love to see that not even just for the clarity of it or like, okay, great. Now Jeff Wilson's the guy or whatever. It's just, it's just for Mostert's sake. I'd almost kind of like to see that. Well, I think, I mean, the, the, the issue on his contract coming into the season was that he was initially signed as a special teams player. And so there were different yeah. minimums based on the position and his agent. I mean, find you a person that loves you as much as Raheem Mostert's agent loves him. That is some loyalty. Him tweeting that is fantastic. But he got himself, um, he stayed, right? Like he wasn't traded. They they signed him to a better deal. Um, I don't think if we're going to move back to week 16 to Mostert, I would be surprised if he played. I don't think anyone's going to feel confident playing him. And I do think if you did scoop Wilson for this week, and you made it to week 16, then you're probably going to flex him again next week, assuming, you know, he's your best option. If he was this week, he probably will be again next week. Yep, agree with you. And Brandon Ayuk continues to ball out 13 targets in this game. Uh, He's gone over, he's gone 10 plus targets in four of his last five games. So yeah, keep playing that guy. Earlier, I talked about how Ryan Tannehill hadn't earned everybody's respect, right? He was the backup to Mariota. Wow, we didn't even talk about that Raiders game, by the way. That's for another day. But um, Oh, my God. <laughs> Ryan Tannehill goes and uh, after maybe some doubt, Mariota, Mariota uh, might have maybe let a little of energetic doubt cloud Nashville. Well, any of that was pushed out of the city because Ryan Tannehill five touchdowns my goodness two on the ground three through the air plus 273 passing yards this was a dominant effort versus 
whatever anti-dominant word, whatever whatever the anti-dominant word is for this uh, Detroit Lions defense. What is the, what would be like anti-dominant? What would be the opposite of dominant? Pathetic, sad, roll like something oh. that would inspire rolling over like cream puff cup. I always say cupcake. Oh, this is a cupcake matchup. The cupcakes I don't know. are delicious and expensive and artisan often. Well, I mean, yeah, if, sure. If you're talking about like the bougie place up the street here in El Segundo, but like you go to the Ralph's and pick up those little tiny, those little tiny cupcakes where you get like 10 for a nickel and it's like taking a shot, you know, like you just throw them back into your mouth and um, then hate yourself a few hours later. <laughs> I'm still working on anti-dominant, but yes, you're right. This defense does um, is very generous. How about that? That's a, let, let's skew positive. I think we're trying to do more of that uh, yeah, in 2020. That's true. So they had they gifted the Titans with all the things on the ground, through the air, all over the place. I mean, Derrick Henry had himself another 150 yard effort. Yeah, this was one of those games where every Titans player was the right answer. You know, um, I had someone texting me before the game. It's like, God, do I play? You know, I got, I got Ryan. Somehow I have Derrick Henry, AJ Brown and Corey Davis all on the team. Do I, who do I play? I'm like, you might want to just play everybody because this Lions team, as you say, I think it's a good word for it. They're very, very generous here in the holiday uh, season, especially to <laughs> end the year. So I, I love this Titans team. I just think they have such a fun offensive ecosystem where now – you know, Corey Davis, he's been a little volatile, right? Uh, 113 yards in week 11, 70 yards in week 12, 182 the week after that, 34 yards against Jacksonville week 14, but then comes and destroys the Lions mostly on the back of a 75-yard deep catch. Davis is a guy that I think people – I think they've been – I don't know. Maybe you could disagree with me on this. I feel like Corey Davis has been unfairly maligned throughout his career because he was the fifth overall pick in the draft. He's never played to that standard, but I also don't think he's ever been as bad as, you know, I think people will be tempted to call him the Devontae Parker of this year. I think Parker was a straight up bad NFL player at different points of his career. I think Corey Davis has just been like, okay, a fine starting receiver. Now I think he's potentially one of the best second fiddles in the NFL which is a good thing. To, it's good to do it at this time because he's going into a contract year. Uh, or he is in a contract year. He will be a free agent in March. Next week, um, the Titans will face off against the Packers. So you have to imagine Derrick Henry continues to gift fantasy managers with all the points. And A.J. Brown, who we talked about in, that, in the halftime show, doesn't look 100% healthy. Looks like he's been working through um, injuries for a bit. So... I would imagine that Corey Davis, I'm going to flex him again and, and flex him maybe more confidently than than I had thought I would heading into that matchup. Yeah, A.J. Brown would be a guy, if I'm the Tennessee Titans this year, you know, you can't do much in terms of improving your playoff seeding. I'd have to go and look at all of uh, the tabulations and everything like that, Like the but I would imagine that week 17, the Titans will be a team that could really take their foot off the gas and like give AJ Brown a week of rest. That would be nice mm-hmm. to see. Yeah. agree. Especially after next week. Cause I imagine next week will be a bit of a battle. Uh, let's talk briefly about the lions only because I can't believe Matt Stafford went out there and tr- tried. I don't know. I mean, good for him. Like that's incredible, especially without Kenny Galladay. And we're not going to see Kenny Galladay. I had so many DMs about, like, you said that we're not going to see Kenny Galladay. We're not. We're not going to see Kenny Galladay maybe week 17 because Kenny Galladay probably wants to get paid. But he is not going to show up for your fantasy team. I don't know why you still have him. And also, I don't know why you still have him and you're still in the playoffs. So good on you. (laughs) (laughs) 
great, great question. <laughs> but DeAndre Swift, uh, after he missed those three weeks with a concussion and various illnesses, came back last week, found the end zone, didn't see a ton of touches, but was did outsnap Adrian Peterson and um, Carrion Johnson by a good margin, found the end zone, and then leaned into that momentum again this week, finding the end zone two more times, um, one both on the ground, uh, he carried the ball 15 times for 67 yards and he scored twice, which I felt, um, I mean, I believe he was stopped once too. And there was like an aerial, like the drone shot, which was just a little extra for my taste. But the, uh, the drone shot of him getting stopped was a little much, but then he did find the end zone twice. And I think that that, if we're looking for a silver lining to spin forward is a nice piece in this offense. Fumbled too. Like lost a fumble right. and they still stuck with him, which I thought was encouraging because during their first goal line series, um, you know, walk downstairs from doing FFL and I see Adrian Peterson slamming into the back of offensive linemen around the goal. I'm like, ah, oh, geez, come on. Let's just enough of this. But I think they figured it out in the end. Let's move on to the uh, Houston at Indianapolis matchup. If we're talking about rookie running backs. Jonathan Taylor continues to ascend. Hell yeah. He's, he has um, rocketed the Colts up the watchability rankings. I'll tell you that. Um, mm. I found this offense to be incredibly boring. You know, unless you re- – like, like on a Sunday watch, you know. It's one thing to go back in the, we- in the midweek and, like, review all the cool stuff Frank Reich is doing. I think Frank Reich's kind of underrated as a play caller. I think he's done a really good job with this offense and especially – designing things around Phillip Rivers but like on a Sunday sitting around like when they pop up on red zone I'm much more interested to see what they're doing now that Jonathan Taylor is like fully out there and doing his thing and I don't he's another one just like David Montgomery where sure matchups play a part in this I mean getting to face the Texans the the Raiders the Texans again that's pretty good stuff for a running back but I also think he has turned the corner too and I think evidence of his corner turning is the amount that he has been used in the passing game. I mean, he draws five targets in this one. And the knock against him, right, coming out of Wisconsin was like, well, he doesn't have an experience as a pass catcher. Like, that's part of his game. You're not going to see That's what Naheem Himes is on on the field for. And to see him now turn into that workhorse, that three down back that a lot of people drafted him in August, hoping to see earlier in the season, is encouraging as we move into the 2021 season. Um I, also I think it was, just just so on on that note, um, I, I think the people who like come at us or come at us or other analysts like you should be fired for this bad fearless forecast. I mean, you know, get out get out of my face. But the next time you see an analyst uh, question a Wisconsin running back about their ability to catch the ball, you've got that they must be they must be taken out out back and and relieved of their duties because we have seen this story too often now whether it's uh freaking james white never caught the ball in college it's like it's like all he does is catch the ball in the nfl (laughs) melvin gordon another guy's like well this this player can't catch yeah he can't do his thing he's catched the ball plenty coming from out of wisconsin same thing now with jonathan taylor give me give me a freaking break give him a break um I, if we're talking about encouraging things, also was encouraged to see David Johnson utilized as a pass catcher. Well, I don't know why we are in week 15 without Will Fuller, and this fool finally draws oh. double-digit targets. How, how much, did, I, I, I don't want to question Bill O'Brien. I mean, it was you interesting. Don't? <laughs> 
<laughs> Why not? Um, well, it never I, I mean, gets I, old. It, it certainly doesn't. And I believe, oh God, I believe it was during another game. I believe it was Akeem Tlaib. We watched a lot of it football guys today. So it was Akeem Tlaib. Tlaib. Said, I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. And he was like, and he was like, yeah, that's why he's gotten fired. And I was like, oh, snap. He did the thing. That like, was so I, cool. <laughs> it was awesome. I loved it. And I totally was happy that somebody said it out. Did he not watch any Arizona tape? Like, the fact that you and I, you, Yahoo's, like you and me, we don't know shit. And we're like, oh, I think that probably David Johnson's better used as a pass catcher out of the backfield than a north-south runner. And, like, we're wondering why he's only managing 40 to 55 yards a week on, like, 13, 16, 18 carries. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, like, if you watched him even his last year in Arizona – he was he was actually putting up decent fantasy numbers in the early part of Cliff Kingsbury's offense before Cliff was like, "That's enough of this. Let me go trade for Kenny yeah. Drake and never never put this guy on the field again." He was horrible as a runner, but the only reason he was putting up any numbers at all was because he could still catch a ball. I mean, it's it's just it's so bad. It's one thing too, just obviously the, the DeAndre Hopkins trade is terrible, but then it like it's the gift that keeps on giving. Like I said, layers and layers. The more layers you peel back of it, the worse. It seems to get, and I did appreciate Akeem Tlaib. Um, he's he, it was great. It was like it was like watching uh, f- football with like my friend who were just talking about Bill O'Brien. That's great. That's but he's played the game. Play. Like that's the difference yeah. is that he's like, oh yeah, I've yeah. been on the field. I know what I'm talking about. Legit, not just because I'm a dork. And he's saying the thing that we were all thinking, which yeah. I appreciated. Um, appreciate that. Let's. Let's talk about this New England at Miami game, which I don't really want to talk about because it's kind of depressing, even though I'm excited to see. Here's another Star Wars ref. Uh, Mandalorian's doing something to the zeitgeist and I guess my brain. But the Death Star explodes here and I am not as satisfied to see it happen this way. Well, this was like to continue the Star Wars analogy last year. I think No spoilers. When... Don't give me the spoiler. I haven't seen the season finale yet. Oh, no, no, no. This okay. is just... No, no Mandalorian spoilers. Come, come on, Liz. Okay. Got to watch it now. At this point, it's it's been a few days. Okay, um, I can't. so it's quite it's 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 tough. Um, but anyways, when when Derrick Henry and the Titans ran all over the Patriots in last year's playoffs with Tom Brady still there, I felt like that was Return of the Jedi, Death Star two blowing up. This was like Rise of Skywalker. Emperor Palpatine dies again at the end of that. It's like ah, this mm. is a. Sh- version of the Patriots I didn't want to see this team too much longer uh you could tell it's week 15 we're just dropping way too many curse words I'm sure Rick is like give me a freaking break uh like this this was this was the version of the Patriots no one really cared for no one asked for this version of this Patriots at this point maybe at some point over the summer you thought like oh Cam Newton's there this is interesting first few moments like this is interesting I could maybe I'm interested to see why the Emperor's back in Rise of Skywalker and then you see it and you're like nope not rewarding, not interesting. Thanks, Tua, for for playing the part of, I don't know, uh, Ray in this moment and getting rid of this team that no one really wants to watch. Yeah, I, I hear all that, except I think there was more excitement. And I still, I will never forget that Seattle-New England game that was wildly exciting oh, yeah. at the top of the season. And I think Charles Robinson made this point on the NFL pod heading into week 15. And that was that like seeing Cam Newton, this version of Cam Newton is not, it's not good for football. It's not fun. No, it's, it's not, it's not it good for the discourse. Yeah. And I, and I think that that is a piece of this and I'm, I mean, I guess, I guess like the 
extended version of this take is that, of course, it's another reason to be angry with Bill Belichick for teasing us with anything and then not being able to deliver regardless. But you guys can listen to the NFL pod on these takes. The point is, you're probably not using Cam Newton if you're listening or in your semifinal matchup. You might have been forced to use Sony Michelle since Damian Harris sat. Uh, he got you, you know, 74 yards on 10 carries, ripped off like one long 17-yard run. And otherwise, this continued to be an underwhelming effort, and the Dolphins are... The Dolphins are sort of what we thought maybe the Patriots could be, this, like, piecemeal team Mm -hmm. of unknowns, kind of makeshifted together by the genius, like, chess-appreciative Queen's Gambit brain that Coach Flo has. And yet, I find myself rooting for Sylvan Ahmed, who, like, has 23 carries for over 122 yards coming off of a shoulder injury. I'm watching Lynn Bowden lead the receiving core with seven looks, and maybe he didn't only, like, put up 37 yards, but, like, there is... Something, even without Mike Gusecki, even without Devontae Parker, like there is something um, interesting bubbling here that has my attention, not just defensively. I, I want to see them go to Ahmed just like going forward, right? Because I think, I think he will. The, I mean, that's I hope week's so. take, yeah. I hope so, because I think Gaskins has been just whatever. He's been getting a lot of opportunity never manages to look that explosive, never manages to score many touchdowns. I think the best rushing days have been when this guy's on the field. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him used more going forward, and I would have liked to see him in my starting lineup in the Scott Fishbowl, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> idiot. Sort of Gus Edwards over him. What an idiot. Why do I have this job? Well, I think that that's a personally – a pers- I actually remember someone else on our – staff, I won't say who, giving you the advice to do that. So you were not alone in in that instinct, I believe. No, that, that particular person told me to play Tyler, and it was Andy Barron's, told me to play Tyler Higby ahead <laughs> of Sony Michelle, which was the correct choice. Well, that worked out. Okay. Yeah. Um, Andy's smart. Let's talk... Andy is very smart. I think Andy is the smartest of all of us, although I wonder if Dalton or Scott would take issue with us saying that. <laughs> I don't know. Well, he's definitely the smartest of us uh, goofballs that are on FFL. That's for sure. Let's put it that way. Agreed. Um, Tank, that's what Matt said. Let's talk yes. about Russell Wilson. Um, well, Tank is the hottest, so, you know. For sure. Against the Washington <laughs> football team. We talked about on the FFL show how – As much as Ron Rivera was probably bummed to drop this game, a part of him felt satisfied because he got to say, I told you so, to everybody who kept asking him about Dwayne Haskins. I feel that he said right after the game, you know, Alex Smith is our starter. I didn't expect to hear anything otherwise. Dwayne Haskins was all right in the second half. He definitely mounted a pretty decent comeback. Just makes too many mistakes. As a young player, I guess you can expect that. But from a fantasy angle, definitely made it happen for the skill position players, which is, as we were discussing this morning, that's really all we want. You know, Logan Thomas, excuse me, the pride of Lynchburg, Virginia, Logan Thomas has 13 catches. J.D. McKissick has nine catches. I think that was outside of expectations. Yeah. Uh, but just goes to show you that he's got a pretty established role no matter who's back there at quarterback. And Terry McLaurin gets 12 targets, catches seven passes for 77 yards. So thanks for coming, Dwayne. You did all we ask of you. And I think it just, I think it just goes to show that these three guys, Thomas, McKissick, and Gibson, whenever you sub in Gibson for McKissick, whenever he gets back there, and then obviously Terry McLaurin, 
these guys are established in their roles. It doesn't really matter who's back there quarterback. Um, the volume is what you're looking for there. And I think all of those guys have played really well to deserve that volume this year. What do you make of the Seahawks? I have to admit, I want to rewatch this game because we were watching it on Red Zone, so I didn't get to watch, you know, the whole of it. But what I was catching was not particularly promising. And not just because the box, you know, when you look at the box score, like, oh, four catches for Tyler Lockett, five for DK Metcalf. I mean, DK Metcalf obviously missed a couple of series because he had an injury, went out, came back in. So that might have contributed there. Um, But it's interesting to me because Russell Wilson didn't make a bunch of mistakes necessarily, but he also didn't look sharp at all. And we're you know, heading into this matchup, everyone was talking about Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat and obviously Chase Young. Um, and yet Russell Wilson doesn't take a single sack, but certainly feels tons of pressure. Yeah, I think felt tons of pressure. And I've said this too, I think he's inviting some of that pressure on himself. I just think Russell Wilson hasn't played as well of late as he played in the early part of the season. I also think too, this is a very high variance offense. We're probably not talking about this enough because of the start of the season that they had and the fact that DK Metcalf is an ascending star and Tyler Lockett's a good player. Uh, They have Chris Carson back, but they don't have much beyond that. You know, they're getting guys like Freddie Swain involved, Mm -hmm. uh, Jacob Hollister. These guys are, are, are not frontline players. Josh Gordon is coming back at some point. We'll see what that means. uh, If it's absolutely anything at all. The fact that there's, there's just, a big gap between the frontline players and the rest of the roster. And also Brian Schottenheimer is definitely taking a step forward in terms of allowing Russ to cook more at different parts of the season. That's great, but it's still, it's all vertical based. They don't do anything, you know, like the Rams do for, for, for Jared Goff or um, what the Browns do for Baker Mayfield. There's not a lot of layups in this offense. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because, you know, DK Metcalf can get open at anywhere on the field. Tyler Lockett can get open at anywhere on the field. But if defenses are drawing to take away one guy, um, they're not at the point now where this offense is efficient enough where the other one can just go off for tw- 10 catches. Eventually that stuff starts to catch up for to you. Well, there's a reliance, right? Like an expected reliance on the talent and size and skill set, but not enough. There isn't a bag of tricks because no one thought they needed one. And I think yeah. that that's a really, really good point, Matt. I hadn't thought of it myself, so kudos. But you're you're right that there's um, dare I say, like a laziness to the way the game is, to the way the offense is schemed. Yep, uh, I think it's just very old school. Is um, even if even if they have become more um, friendly to being aggressive in pass first situations or going for it on fourth down, whatever. I still think this is a very – these are two old-school coaches. I mean, Pete Carroll's obviously one of the oldest coaches in the NFL. We know Pete Carroll's old-school tendencies. And pretty much the same thing with Brian Schottenheimer, who's hung around the league for a long time. And obviously, if you know the last name, uh, he's got a lot of league t- like long-time NFL ties. <laughs> Let's talk now about uh, Jacksonville at Baltimore. Um, Lamar Jackson did not get the poops that we know of in this one. But he did manage to score four touchdowns, so good for him. I think the Ravens have officially you – could, you could talk about matchups, too. Of course, Dallas mm-hmm. is a pushover. They played them a few weeks ago. Cleveland is kind of hit or miss on defense. They're not special as a rush defense. And obviously, Jacksonville is a, is a cupcake. You want to talk about cupcakes? They're a cupcake defense. But I feel like uh, Baltimore has just gone back to what what they what they should be, which is – 
focused on hitting deep shots when they do pass, but mostly it is a rush first team. Uh, and Lamar, I think, has has started to get more comfortable into that. They're still not perfect as a passing team. Uh, Hollywood Brown's going to make his mistakes. Uh, Des Bryant gets to throw up the X. That was pretty cool. But nevertheless, it's a, it's mostly based on the running backs. And I, I'm very comfortable. I mean, Mark Ingram, he's a healthy scratch in this game. Maybe he gets to play at some point through the playoffs. But you know, next week, I'm definitely confident using J.K. Dobbins without any reservation. And same, same thing with Gus Edwards. I know it didn't totally work out today. Um, but he's still a good bet for a touchdown every now and again, as long as they're going to play like this. I mean, Gus Edwards also went over 70 yards. Like you're, you're not, ter- he, he didn't, and he had two, pen, and half of that was made up in, in uh, passing yards, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is unexpected for him. Exactly. So, so I don't think we hate it. I think that um, they have the giants next week and the giants are obviously playing right now as we record. So um I think you're you're right though that J.K. Dobbins like has found his way to the top. I think we all thought this would happen in 2021, but he's over the past few weeks found his way to the top of this of the um, running back depth chart, and we're all right with it. Uh, on the other side of things, I will say so. James Robinson got a little bit banged up in this game. Keep an eye on that because he's obviously been Andy Barron's favorite floor play week in and week out. <laughs> Talks about him every week. Um, Otherwise, I was a little bit disappointed that DJ Chark, who I thought had some Hail Mary appeal down the, especially in DFS, down the stretch here, because we know how he and Gardner had unlocked one another, at least last year. The mojo just, I don't, they're tough. Like, Jacksonville's a tough watch all around. Like, they don't have a punter on the field. The whole thing's a disaster, I don't I think the best thing the Jacksonville Jaguars are like the reason you want to see them on the schedule is when you see that someone on your offense like David Montgomery will be playing against them next week. Yeah, they're just Jacksonville's just in play out the string mode. But hey, they're in the driver's seat for the number one pick after the Jets won a damn game today. So and I actually think if you're Trevor Lawrence, give me a break. I saw a few Jets fans being like, Oh, Tubbs, now you gotta go play for the Jaguars. Har har. Oh, please give me a break. Uh the Jaguars have two ascending young talents in James Robinson and DJ Chark had a great season in 2019. I don't know what the Jets have to offer uh, Trevor Lawrence that he should be any more excited to go there than Jacksonville. I mean, Trevor Lawrence also is from Tennessee, I believe, and went to Clemson. So he probably regionally speaking would feel more comfortable in Jacksonville than New York City. That long blonde hair is made for Florida. (laughs) 100% Florida man. Uh, is the first round pick. Uh, All right, let's talk about the Jets then because they are next up on the outline. And you mentioned them. Sam Darnold is victorious over Jared Goff. What an interesting... uh, I I did not think Jared Goff was going to do much in this uh, outing, but not because he was the losing quarterback. (laughs) Yeah, this... (laughs) I was worried that like, oh, Cam Akers might have only 60-ish yards because they pull him early or, you know, these receivers might not all hit their ceiling because they pull him early. Well, uh, that's not exactly how it went. Bottom line, the results went that way, but that was not exactly the process how they got there. Cam Akers did go to the locker room at one point. That was another reason why he only had 63 yards on 15 carries. So keep that in mind. He had one catch for negative yards as well. Uh, He did get hurt at one point. But, yeah, I mean – Look, the Ram, the Rams. Maybe, maybe this was a trap game. I don't know, uh, but they got. Do you think that honestly? Take it that because I kept, 
as I was watching it, I kept thinking, like, I wonder if Sean McVay just spent all of his energy focusing on the Super Bowl rematch against Bill Belichick and, like, just had nothing left. Like, the 2020 burnout that we talk about, the football burnout that we talk about, like, just hit him here. Maybe. Um, I also just think that they kind of got beat up. And uh, Quinton Williams is a player that I don't think is getting enough national attention because um, he, you know, and also like the Rams could have not just, the Rams might not have just been looking back. They also might've been looking forward. They get Seattle next week. That's an important game for the NFC West title. So it's like a sandwich of a trap game, but Quinton Williams whooped this team around up front. Uh, He's a player who has, uh, he's had a big, bigger season than many people would give him credit for. And he left early in this game as well. Yeah. He, I think he has a concussion. But when he was in there, he was making impact plays early. And the Rams are just one of those teams that when they don't get on schedule right away, there's there's problems for this team because they're just they're, – they don't have a great second punch. They've got a great first move. They don't have a great second move. I think Frank Gore was probably the only member of the Jets offense not thinking Ugh. about Trevor Lawrence. Like, he did not care. You, It was great to see him score and to see him, like, scream at Sam Darnold to, to toss to him, you know? Uh, I think he was like, yeah. look, I'm probably not going to be here next year. I don't care who the hell the quarterback is. I'm interested in winning. The rest of y'all worry about your picks. Like, this is – I'm here for now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, all these guys are not trying to lose. Sam Darnold's right. definitely not trying to lose to get no. get his job taken away from him. Like these guys on the field don't care about Trevor Lawrence. Frank Gore does not care about Trevor Lawrence, and he definitely does not want to go zero and sixteen. These players don't want that that stink on them for sure. Hundred a hundred percent. So. Let's talk about the game that was being touted as a potential Super Bowl preview next. Obviously, the Chiefs at the Saints. This is Drew Brees' return after fracturing 11 ribs. Um, I don't know what to say about this game. I mean, if you look at the box score, 243 and three touchdowns, looks pretty good. But Drew Brees did not look good for the bulk of this. Of, I, I didn't think so. I was not impressed for the bulk of this matchup. Um, the defense did manage to stymie Patrick Mahomes a couple of times, but he's Patrick Mahomes. Like, we've seen him. We saw him fight back last week. We saw him fight back in the damn Super Bowl, right? Like, I, I just don't know. And all of the key players got involved for the Chiefs. There's a Travis Kelsey touchdown. There's a Tyreek touchdown. And then there's a McCole Harvin uh, toe tap that is unreal. And, yeah, and, that's unreal. The, and that's the touchdown that we see in this one. But, like... I don't know. What was your take seeing Drew Brees back and wearing, you know, the, the protective flat gear that the broadcasting crew love to talk about every, every seven minutes. They love, I mean, they love to, to, to have the conversation about the bulletproof vest or whatever. I think Tony Romos, yeah. wore, he probably wore those like 35 times in his career. So he's used to it. Um, with Drew Brees, though, I, I think he looked cold, right, to come out of this game. Yeah. The first half was terrible. Really, really, really rough watch to the point where I'm like, man, uh, maybe Taysom Hill would have been the better option in this game. But uh, I think in the fourth quarter, Brees looked good and comfortable and was delivering well-placed balls, delivering strikes. Uh, the touchdown to Lil Jordan Humphrey. What a name, by the way. Lil Jordan Humphrey, 6'4 <laughs> receiver. Give me a break. Um, that was an awesome touchdown throw, perfectly placed. I think as the game went on, Breeze started to look better. And that's great news because the Saints defense definitely came to play. But this is the frustrating thing about the Chiefs, right? You can come to play. 
you can give them some, quote, give them some trouble. They're still going to score 30 points. So if your offense doesn't score 30 points, you're going to lose. And we saw even that this Chiefs offense is so high octane that even disciplined players and uh, get flustered. I'm not talking about like, like Chauncey Gardner, right? Like he's not disciplined. You see him get into it with somebody every week. Like, by the way, watching him and Sammy Watkins, I was like, oh, I'm here for this. I'd love to see these two crazy people get into it. This sounds fantastic to me. But then Cam Don't mess Jordan, with Sammy Watkins. He's got alien uh, allies. That's right. <laughs> but that's, I was like, okay, this is like some popcorn sideline value. I'd appreciate that. But watching uh, Cam Jordan get ejected, like, I think that's an interesting perspective that very few people talk about because the fact that this offense is so unstoppable that it frustrates and almost unravels solid defenses is telling about just how good it is and how unbeatable it is. Yeah, no doubt. Um, And I think the big running uh, running game update from the Chiefs in this one, Clyde Edwards-Alaire gets hurt late. Um, that looked pretty bad. We'll see. It's a hip slash knee injury. He was doubtful to return pretty quickly. Uh, Le'Veon Bell also got a little banged up, but did come back in. Uh, he obviously scored a touchdown in this one. If CEH is out next week, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and say I, I think he's he's pr- probably going to be out next week. That looked like a pretty tough injury, which is very unfortunate. The Chiefs get the Falcons in week 16. Uh, how high are we ranking Le'Veon Bell if he's got like the backfield all to himself? That would be pretty exciting. It's interesting that you're mentioning Le'Veon Bell too, because you know last week he tweeted, "I'm confused because he wasn't getting the volume that he wanted," and and Ceh was. Um, I think that that would be a massive smash spot for him. I don't know. Would you put him inside of your top fifteen? Maybe. Um, you know, he obviously exceeded in this spot once before when CEH was out. So that would be a pretty big deal. I think, I think he'd be pushing that territory for sure. Again, you want pieces attached to this chief's offense. And the fact of the matter is too, like these guys aren't the only two ones in the backfield. Daryl Williams is still a factor. He only three carries in this spot, but like, it's not as if these two are splitting the pie 50, 50. So Le'Veon Bell is going to be probably maybe a 75%, 65% player if CEH is out. But I think that might be good enough in this offense to definitely worth that, war, war, warrant that type of consideration. Warrant that. Warrant. So while the Chiefs at Saints might have been the most anticipated matchup because of the postseason implications for both teams, I think the most exciting watch was the Eagles at the Cardinals. And watching Jalen Hurts have himself a game like I don't think anyone expected I know I didn't expect him to be the thing I was most impressed with last week was that yes he had the fumble but he played a relatively mistake-free game right like he made he knew when to run it wasn't just that he ran he made good choices about his running he um could find his receivers he found um He got through his progressions, and I thought even though he didn't pass a lot that that showed something, and you know, you talk about the like trash offensive line, well when you have a player with that kind of mobility, something we said about Kyler Murray in fact last year, like you don't 
you don't really need that good of an offensive line. And maybe I'm putting need in quotes, but there's um, an advantage that a mobile quarterback can get you behind um, a porous offensive line. And yet you see Jalen Hurts in this one pass for 338. I had him projected for 208 and people thought I was nuts, that it was way too liberal of a, of a, of a, of a projection. And he goes off for 338 and three through the air and then gets you 63 and a touch on the ground as well, and still loses the game. And if Dallas Goddard squeezes that third and 21 pass to end the game, and there's a chance, like, Hertz could have won the game, too. That was a perfect throw that he put to Goddard in the end zone. He just drops it. It happens. Uh, I mean, it was a tough catch, but it was about the only place Hertz could have put it for Goddard to get it. That's where he threw it. That's how impressive this player was couple of things here number one the easy one is yes you're starting Jalen Hurts in fantasy over any non-stud if you're playing next week still will probably be too affordable in DFS it was in your boys guru challenge lineup because uh I believed in the rushing based floor but you said it he way exceeded expectations as a passer um he definitely thrives more in the chaos of this offense than Carson Wentz did. I said this to Scott last week, and you could say it again this week too. You can sit there and count like 10 to 15 plays where Hurts makes something good happen. I'm like, if that's Carson Wentz, it's a sack or it's a disaster because that's just where Wentz is as a player. But the only thing, and I had my questions about Hurts as a passer, just how much were they going to use him? How up to speed is he? Because he's a rookie. He's not getting a lot of reps. But I found it frustrating going into his first start. People were talking about him as like a Taysom Hill type of guy. This is the a very productive college passer in his final year led the nation in yards per attempt on non-play action passes. Like this guy can throw. And I think we saw that today. He just gives this offense so much more life. It's really, it's a huge Testament to him that they were one of the most unwatchable eyesores in the NFL before he takes over. And now with basically the same crew around him, they're, they're, they're taking, a playoff bound team, most likely in Arizona to the ropes. And the fact you meant exactly what you said that before Hertz heading into last week, the argument was, well, he's inheriting all of the same problems that Carson Wentz has. Who are his receivers? Who's he going to toss to? Well, the answer is he's going to spread the ball around everywhere. Like that's like, Sure, Zach Ertz had seven targets. Doesn't matter. He only caught two of them, right? Like Ertz made some big mistakes in this one, regardless, but like, I think that it's interesting, and if I'm spinning forward to 2021, there is a lot of question marks about Jalen Rager, and I understand that the Philadelphia fans wanted Justin Jefferson over Rager back in April, and maybe after we've gone and given Jefferson a giant glow-up earlier in the show, that's warranted. But if we're watching the rapport between these two Jalens, then I think there's some connective tissue here. There's something exciting for Eagles fans to look forward to. Eight targets, only catches five of them, but that's the second week in a row that Hurts in his starts has, in key moments, looked to his rookie wide receiver. Yeah, there are still problems in this offense beyond the quarterback, but the difference is Wentz presented more problems to problems. 
Hertz presents a solution solution to problems. Yeah. So that's, that's the difference with this one. And it's a good, I mean, it, it, even though Miles Sanders didn't have quite the game that he did last week, still clears 80 total yards in this spot. The offense just has so much more potential um, now that the quarterback uh, has seemingly been fixed. And I don't know what the hell, I don't know what the hell happens to Carson Wentz. Tough look for him too. When all the articles and the reports are out there, like, Oh, oh he's yeah. actually, he's actually pissed at the Eagles. And then Jalen Hurts goes out and does that. It's like, well, well he's right. He was, the rumor, right, was that he was requ- ahead of the game was requesting a trade if they don't want to make him the starter. So go yeah, ahead and write your letter, baby. Write a letter. Good, uh, put good, Drop it in luck. the suggestion box. On the other side good of things, luck. though, Kyler Murray, who was in your girl's guru lineup, at, passed for 406 plus three touchdowns and then also scored on the ground. So a wild back and forth. It bears mentioning that Darius Slay wasn't active for this one. Novante Maddox as well. Uh, the safety was banged up. Uh, so here was an opportunity for Kyler Murray after some inconsistencies a couple of weeks ago to come back. And obviously he and Hopkins connected beautifully last week for, for solid production, but could build on that momentum as they head to the, the theoretical postseason. Yeah, just a really fun game overall. Amen. All right. Um, I think that that is it because right now the uh, Browns are still playing the Giants. And on Monday night, you've got the Steelers at Cincinnati trying to bounce back. And, you know, we'll see if they can do it in a in a soft matchup. I, I hope they can because it makes everything a little more fun if they do. I don't want to see De- Deontay Johnson dropping balls. I want to see him catching it. Like, we're rooting for that now, right? We are. We are. Oh, a thousand percent. I'm on teams drop don't matter. Team drops don't matter. And uh, Deontay Johnson is actually good. So, yes, we are rooting for that. I just don't know if I can stomach watching another damn Steelers primetime game. They're just so tough to watch. Maybe this one won't be. Um, But what are the good news is if even if they even if they don't uh if they don't hold up their end of the bargain the ryan finley bengals are back baby that they'll definitely hold up their end of the bargain (laughs) you make an excellent you make an excellent excellent point all right fine uh so other than ryan finley what don't you care about and what's going to be heading your don't care late night article that you file every week if you could tease us please for the lunatics as you like to call them that will read it this evening or tomorrow morning. Yeah, for for the lunatic. No, well, you're only a lunatic if you read it after it's filed on Sunday night. If you read it on Monday morning, you're a normal, well-adjusted person. But I thank you regardless if you do. Um, obviously, we expand more on all the topics we've talked about here. But go into more of the Titans offensive ecosystem because I feel like I find a way to praise the Titans every single week. And not just what it means for this year, the rest of the way, uh, last couple weeks here of fantasy, but also the playoffs and what it could mean if guys like Corey Davis or their offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith, um, exit the team in the offseason. Podcasts. We've got a lot of podcasts at Yahoo Sports. We've got the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast. I mentioned it earlier. I, w- I listen to it semi-regularly depending on time, not because of talent or enjoyment. And I encourage you to do the same with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler. The Yahoo Sports College podcast. Lots of college uh, football news earlier today and i'm sure that dan wetzel pete thamel and our friend pat 40 will cover all of it for you guys follow us on twitter at yahoo fantasy i'm at liz loza underscore ff that is at matt Harmon underscore byb one more thanks to our sponsor planters andy and scott will be back tomorrow morning to talk pickups until then we're out <laughs>